I called it. This is Eli Sussman here on Fish Bites, recording episode number 58 for you in a festive mood. The Marlins have agreed to a one-year deal with right-handed reliever Brandon Kinsler. If you have listened to recent Fish Bites episodes this offseason, all you have to do is subscribe to Fish Stripes on your preferred podcast platform. You can find all the episodes on the website at fishstripes.com slash podcasts then you know I was a big advocate for Brandon Kinsler. Uh, in the days leading up to this deal, it had been uh, he'd been suggested as a legitimate target by Marlins insider Craig Mish, and then the news came on Saturday night, first from MLB Network's John Heyman, and uh, it was confirmed by Jesse Rogers of ESPN. Uh, but in the lead-up to that, even on social media, at Fish Stripes on Twitter and on Instagram, I had been, you know, making the case that Kinsler is arguably the best reliever who is remaining on the free agent market at that time. Someone with closing experience, somebody who has been in a lot of competitive situations the last handful of years. Uh, without being too repetitive, I'm just going to insert a clip right here from two episodes ago where I compared Kinsler to some of the other lesser available free agent relievers. Even as recently as last year, he was pretty close to his peak form. He was doing all the things that had made him successful the past handful of years. He has a, a sinker, changeup, slider, very occasionally a four-seamer. As I dug into this, I was actually kind of surprised that he throws as hard as he does. I'd always thought of him as somewhat of a junk baller because he doesn't really miss a ton of bats. But his sinker actually averaged 92 and a half miles per hour last season. So he throws almost as hard as Jeffers does. And um, at least last year, he threw slightly harder than uh, Cody Allen does. So that certainly doesn't match the perception that those both those players have. I, I like him a lot. I think he's very clearly the best free agent reliever remaining on the market. And um, we saw a lot of guys at the top end of the market get more than was expected. The Marlins had interests, we believe, in Sergio Romo and weren't able, weren't willing to guarantee him five million dollars that he got to return to the Twins. So it's gonna, we'll, we'll see how what their tolerance is for Kinsler. He should be slightly cheaper than Romo. Uh, I'm not totally sure on that. Uh, again, the impetus for this whole conversation is that the Marlins are spending less on their 2020 roster than they did in 2019 so they should have some wiggle room here where um it really shouldn't be all that much about the price point at this point they they should be willing to bid against just about any other team that's still looking for relief help but Kinsler is a guy that just based on his most recent year is uh, his career overall he's going to draw interest from some competitive teams as well if if he's a guy that really prioritizes being on a contending team because he has been in the past before with the Cubs. Um, he also pitched with the Nationals. I, I should mention that briefly uh, the year before. 
And then with uh, the Brewers and the Twins, I mean, he's a guy that in most of his years in the majors, his team has been in the mix, at least for a playoff spot. So that preference may um, have a role here in what team he ultimately goes to. But I think the Marlins should be making him their top priority at this point. Now that he has agreed to be a fish, I'm just going to add on a couple additional details about Kinsler heading into his age 35 season, um, almost the same age that Sergio Romo was last year, and he's being signed at a similar point in the offseason to fill a similar role on the Marlins roster. They just did not have anybody on the roster at the moment who had considerable closing experience in the majors. Kinsler has 49 career saves, including at least one save in each of the last four years. He's a native of Nevada, born in Las Vegas, went to high school there, and then um, a couple universities outside of the state, and uh, was never really high regarded as a prospect. He was a 40th round draft pick two times. He signed as a 40th rounder out of Dixie State College of Utah. Well, that's a first. I'd never heard of that. And uh, he's pitched in the majors for each of the last 10 years, but really only had a stable role for about the last seven with the Brewers, with the Twins, then the Nationals and the Cubs. And coming off a really good year in Chicago, the other veteran reliever in these last few days of the Marlins had been seriously linked to. They were being reported by a Dominican journalist as a finalist for right-hander Pedro Strope. And they had some similarities in performance. If you look back the past few years between Kinsler and Strope, a similar age. I hadn't even um, mentioned Strope in that previous episode outlining closer candidates that made sense for the Marlins just because he issued a lot of free passes and uh, worked a lot of deep counts. He just wasn't very efficient, even though his bottom line results the last few years were the same as Kinsler. Kinsler, now four straight years, he's thrown first pitch strikes at a higher rate than the league average. The MLB average is about 60% first pitch strikes, and Kinsler has been 61% or above four straight years. If you also look at his career walk rate, yeah, just comfortably better than the league average, including last year, 5.7%, whereas the league average is more like 8%, and for relievers, about 9 For the Marlins' bullpen last year, it was about 11 so Kinsler is walks about half as often his opponents as some of the relievers of the Marlins will otherwise be relying on in other situations. The other thing that I hadn't mentioned previously is Kinsler's platoon splits. So he is a right-hander, and last year um, he began throwing his changeup more than ever before. He's had this changeup in his arsenal for most of his career to like various extents. As I look back on it more carefully, he yeah almost went away from it entirely in 2016 and 2017 in favor of his slider. And then last year in 2019, that's when the trend reversed, where he threw his slider less, his changeup more. And the result is that he was amazing against left-handed batters. He held them to a 163 batting average, a 522 OPS. It's like he, turning all his opponents into... Uh, I mean, Lewis Brinson is a right-handed batter, but you get the point. Like, a Lewis Brinson-type level of um, terribleness against him for all left-handed batters. Only one home run allowed to lefties all of last year in the Cubs bullpen at a time where, as I'm sure you're aware of, home runs all across baseball exploded last year. 
with what people believe is a juice ball. That's a very important development for Kinsler that he's been using that changeup last year, not 20% of the time, but pretty close, 17.5% of the time. It was his primary secondary pitch, and it was really effective overall. And that's particularly relevant for the Marlins, considering a lot of question marks that they have with their left-handers in their bullpen. That was somewhat of an issue last year outside of Harlan Garcia. Harlan had a very good year. He's been pitching well in the Dominican Winter League this offseason. He, uh, I think he's a guy that you can trust heading into next year as being a competent lefty reliever in the bullpen. Outside of him, it's a ton of question marks. You have Adam Conley trying to rebound from a terrible year, and you have Stephen Tarpley, who we've written about on fishstripes.com in our season previews. Tarpley is a very interesting guy that has potential to be a, I believe, to be a very solid reliever, generating a lot of grounders, keeping the ball in the park, but he hasn't shown that in the majors yet. That's the bottom line, is that he was available from the Yankees because of the fact that he had struggled a lot in the major leagues thus far. He has a much shorter track record than Kinsler does. Kinsler will become the oldest player on the Marlins roster. He's about the same age as Matt Kemp, but Kemp is a non-roster invitee to spring training. Um, yeah, there's a couple other veterans that are on non-guaranteed deals, but Kinsler's is guaranteed one year. It guarantees him $3.25 million. It's the largest guarantee that this Marlins ownership group has given to any pitcher. Pretty incredible that we're at this point. It's it's not overall a big risk whatsoever, and that's why I like the deal a lot, because if Kinsler does perform well, then the Marlins holds a 2021 option for $4 million. So for a guy that would be coming off consecutive strong years, it would be a pretty easy decision to pick up that option, and yet he is still tradable on this type of contract as well. If, as expected, the Marlins are not contending early in the year, there will be some pressure to flip him at the deadline. And I'm totally fine with that. That's a reason why I was pushing for the Marlins to sign a veteran reliever with this kind of track record. Because if you know you're not going to be contending, and if you do have, hopefully, some of these internal young pitching prospects that are get called up, put into the bullpen, and have success in those roles, and it makes Kinsler somewhat expendable for your situation, then you can flip him for even more young talent. Now, because he doesn't miss all that many bats overall, about a league average strikeout rate, maybe even slightly below that, if you look back the past few years, um, his upside is not amazing. He's, he's not going to be a, a super, he's not going to get any Cy Young votes, I should say. And um, yeah, there's just a certain limitation to how well he's going to perform if he's not piling up that many strikeouts. There's a lot of things that can happen when you allow balls in play. But most of the balls that he allows are on the ground. He doesn't give out free passes. He has that weapon that he now trusts against left-handed batters. This is a guy that's definitely worth the money. He's worth the money, and I think he fits with this team in a number of ways. An important veteran presence to have on the roster that, to this point, they did not have. As we get this late into the offseason, it's been an offseason where so much free agent movement happened at relatively early times before the new year. So when your team didn't make a move before the new year, there was reason to get a little antsy as to whether that would ever actually come to be at all. The Marlins addressed uh, most of their other 
offseason needs before the new year, at least uh, agreeing in principle. And the Kinsler move, I should clarify, has not been announced. The Marlins have a full 40-man roster. They have to make a corresponding roster move in order for the Kinsler deal to be official, and that's going to be a very intriguing situation to watch. The Marlins have added so much veteran talent at this point this offseason, and they've traded everybody traded or released. They've gotten rid of everybody that they considered to be expendable. Maybe a couple players that might make the case are big question marks moving forward that the Marlins may be DFAing. Could be Chad Wallach, who's the clear third option on their catching depth chart and missed most of last year with a concussion and concussion-related symptoms. If they have strong indications that he won't be ready for spring training, that he's not fully past these issues, and then they may have to make an unfortunate decision there. Uh, but but considering the state of catching across all baseball, how Wallach played in his brief opportunities when healthy last year, he's someone that has a strong chance of being claimed by another team as catching depth, considering he still has minor league options remaining. Left-hander Jose Quijada could find his job in jeopardy as well, much younger than than Wallach or or Kinsler for that matter. Let's see, is he going to be 24, 25 next year? He just made his major league debut last year, and it went horribly. It's only going to be his age 24 season. And he pitched poorly in the majors last year. A 5.76 ERA, a 7.66 FIP. Nearly one walk for every innings pitched, and he gave him a lot of home runs. He, he was performing really poorly for the most part. I guess the first stretch that he came up looked good, and his raw stuff is impressive for a lefty, considering his age and the quality of his stuff and the pretty decent track record in the high minors. I'd expect him to be claimed by another team as well. So to me, this just seems like a pretty easy opening to find a partner for Orania because you're so uncertain of his fit on the team, and yet he's not that far removed from being a very solid starting pitcher at a time where starting pitching was so expensive this offseason for other teams trying to acquire it. There are still wannabe contenders out there that have questions at the back end of their rotation who'd probably be willing to bring in Orania and give him a shot at earning an opening day rotation spot. As usual, um, I don't have a great feel as to what the Marlins are going to do. That's why this Kinsler thing is such an anomaly. Um, Over a month ago, I had the podcast episode where I took a crack at predicting the Marlins opening day roster way in advance, including some presumed free agent deals. And I was able to nail the Corey Dickerson one a few days before it actually happened. And the Kinsler one has finally materialized over a month later that I could pat myself on the back about. But the reality is is that most of these other fringe roster moves have been somewhat surprising. The main takeaway from all this is to give some applause to the Marlins front office. They went out and they spent what it took to get the best remaining reliever that was on the market. They gave him more money than they had to any other free agent pitcher under new ownership, and he's going to be worth it. It's a very worthwhile risk to take, and it puts a cap, I believe, on this Marlins offseason for the most part. Because of the aforementioned roster crunch that they've been facing the whole offseason, how most of those guys are either current top prospects or very recent top prospects that the team 
wants to give a long look at it, a big opportunity to fill into regular roles. There's nothing more valuable in baseball than drafting, developing, or acquiring and developing your own homegrown talent and have those guys stick as solid regulars for a long-term period. Because of the lack of expendable pieces, it's going to be hard for other players later this spring to force their way onto the roster. And uh, if they do, it's, it leads to some tough decisions for the Marlins to make. Instead of continue to face that roster crunch uh, in order to make very uh, moderate improvements to the roster in a year where you know you're not going to be competing for a playoff spot, the top priority for this organization right now is still to protect their young, controllable, high upside talent. A little bit more on that later as we review some of the MLB top prospect lists that were just published by MLB Pipeline, Baseball America, and others, and the significance of that. Um, nonetheless, the most important thing is to keep all those guys intact and eventually down the road, whether it's in 2020, for some of them in 2021, give them a shot of earning their place on this roster long term. Any other additions that you might see this offseason to the team on the veteran side would almost certainly be minor league deals with non-roster invites to spring training. Players with some track record of success that would still have to really force their way onto the roster considering how filled it is, how currently constructed it is with a lot of players that are there for a certain purpose. So in order to disrupt that, those veterans, even the ones with some track record, will really have to show something exceptional in spring training there are countless veterans still out there on the market that could be intriguing for a variety of reasons. Uh, rather than going through all of them, I wanted to focus on ones that are, quote, old friends of ours, ones who would be reuniting with the Marlins after spending multiple years with the team at the major league level earlier in their career. Right-hander Henderson Alvarez, a.k.a. The Entertainer, the one who threw a no-hitter on the final game of the regular season one year, who in his last full season in the Marlins rotation was quietly one of the better starters in all of baseball. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, he posted a video on Twitter of his recent bullpen session in his native Venezuela. He tagged a few teams, major league teams, in the tweet including the Marlins, and the video showed himself being clocked at 95 miles per hour on his fastball, which is pretty much where he was around the peak of his career uh, in the middle of this past decade. And uh, through a variety of injuries, most notably to his shoulder, he's, he's barely pitched in the majors over the last five seasons. But amazingly, he's still only 29 years old. He's entering his age 30 season in 2020, and he's looking for a job. The bullpen session that he posted, it, I wouldn't say it went viral, but it went, um, it went very prominently noticed by a lot of people, plenty of fans for various teams pleading their teams to sign Alvarez to a cheap contract and bring him in, considering the track record that he has in the majors, and uh, presumably he would be available on a minor league deal, being so far removed from major league action. The last time he pitched in the majors was actually in 2017 with the Phillies. He made three starts, pretty underwhelming, and he's pitched a lot in Mexico, unaffiliated ball, since then. 
he is currently scheduled to be with the Venezuelan national team as they try to qualify for the Olympics. The qualifier is in March for the Olympics coming up this coming summer in Asia. And he also participated in November in a separate tournament that they had the uh, WBSC Premier 12 tournament. He pitched there. I'm not entirely sure how how well he did. Uh, MLB Network's John Morosi has confirmed that the Marlins were one of the teams that sent scouts to see that bullpen session that he threw in Venezuela, the one where he'd uh, seemingly regained some of the fastball velocity that he didn't have in previous seasons. He spent pretty much all of his major league time as a starting pitcher. In fact, every single appearance that he's made in his major league career has been as a starter. At the stage of his career, uh, I'm sure he'd have to earn his way back more as a long reliever first and be buried a little bit on the depth chart and, and wait for his turn, even if he has really recaptured everything that he used to have. He's the one that has inspired this segment about reunion candidates because he was very popular here with the Marlins, even though those teams that he was on weren't all that competitive. Uh, with the exception of 2014, there were, some, there were some fun times in 2014, and he was right in the middle of that considering that he's still, uh, age-wise, he should have a lot left if he's, his body cooperates. That's always the big question with pitchers. And again, for someone that has his injury history and has been removed from the majors for this length of time, the focus should be, at least initially, on him as a reliever. Um, I imagine, considering the Marlins weren't the only team attending that bullpen session, there may be multiple teams looking to sign him to a minor league deal. And the decision he makes may depend a little bit on the opportunity, on uh, the incentives included in the minor league deal. If he does actually make it onto the roster for the Marlins, they have really good starting pitching depth. Keep Alvarez in mind. No indication yet that the team is trying to sign him, but there is still some room in Major League Camp for additional pitchers to get some reps. And Alvarez, at this stage of the offseason, where you don't want to disrupt the 40-man roster any further, Alvarez would be a fun pickup. In a similar vein, David Phelps, who is a few years older than Alvarez, and he was with the Marlins a little bit more recently, traded in 2017. A very interesting trade that brought back four players in return, including Pavla Lopez, and Phelps injured himself nearly immediately after that trade to the Seattle Mariners. He barely pitched the rest of 2017. He didn't pitch at all in 2018, and then he resurfaced last year, signing with the Toronto Blue Jays, and then traded midseason to the Cubs, where he was teammates with Kinsler. He put up a 3-4-1 ERA last season in 34 and a third innings, but the peripherals aren't quite as sexy. Uh, too many walks, a 4.58 FIP overall, 1.4, 1.39 WHIP overall. It paints the picture more of an average middle reliever than one that you'd really trust in high leverage situations. Phelps is going to be is 33 years old for this coming season, and at this stage in the off season. Maybe there is an opportunity to bring him back on a minor league deal. Um, he does have that very good track record when he was with the Marlins, especially that 2016 season. I remember when they put him in the rotation for a little length of time, and he was piling up more strikeouts that year than he has before or since. 
it'll be interesting if they're able to recapture that uh, when he was traded to Seattle in 2017. If I have the timeline right, he was working with Mel Stoudemire Jr. that year. So the current Marlins pitching coach was the Seattle pitching coach at that time and therefore has a little bit of a history with Phelps. Although, as I just mentioned, Phelps did get injured very shortly after arriving in Seattle. That's something else to keep in mind. I think just because of the recency of his major league experience, you'd have to say that he's in a better negotiating position than Henderson Alvarez is. And therefore, in this offseason where a lot of players have gotten more money than originally forecasted, Phelps should have still a chance to get a guaranteed major league deal elsewhere. And the Marlins aren't necessarily in that position to hand one out because of their roster limitations. Uh, but, But either one of those two, um, would be very um, adequate additions at this stage of the offseason. The rest of this list, it's going in a decreasing order of likelihood. So I, I don't think any of these players are probable to sign by the Marlins, but Alvarez and Phelps uh, could fit for a number of reasons. Uh, the rest of these are pretty far long shots that I just wanted to mention because of their history with the Marlins. How about outfielder Cameron Mabin, who was a Marlin in 2008, 2009, 2010, a journeyman in between then, and then he returned to the Marlins in 2018. Always very highly regarded as a clubhouse presence. Uh, His performance has been really inconsistent offensively for much of his career. And all of a sudden last year, he made some interesting changes to his swing, and he hit a career-high 11 home runs at age 32 with the Yankees. He missed some time with injury. He didn't even start the year on their active roster. He kind of got that opportunity, um, ironically, as a result of Giancarlo Stanton getting injured. Stanton getting called up in the first place a decade ago with the Marlins was perhaps the reason why Mabin was expendable to the Marlins at that time and traded to the Padres. And um, almost a decade later, he gets an unlikely third, fourth chance, he gets he gets one last opportunity to impact in the majors because of the injuries on the Yankees' outfield depth chart, and he really took advantage of it. A 285 batting average, a 364 on base, and the most surprising, a 494 slugging percentage, way above league average as a hitter in about a half season of major league time, uh, worth more than a win above replacement. So it's really surprising at this point that he hasn't found a major league deal coming off that kind of year that he had being 33 years old, which is uh, for most players past their prime, but it's certainly not over the hill in all situations. He seldom plays center field at this stage of his career. He, he did play a significant amount of that with the Marlins just two years ago. Um, this one is buried as a more unlikely reunion because Mabin should be getting a major league deal just based on the performance that he had. And the Marlins already have a lot of outfield depth, both in the majors and in AAA. Just wanted to throw his name out there because it is surprising that he is still out there. And this team, even with the acquisition of Corey Dickerson, if you presume Brian Anderson gets shifted to the outfield, that Garrett Cooper will see some time in the corners. There are still some question marks as to whether they have enough lineups that are going to have three quality outfielders in there all at the same time. A name to keep in mind, although an extreme long shot, another one who is a long shot and a very low priority would be Mike Dunn. Mike Dunn, 
the um, interesting trivia answer as to who has the most relief appearances in Miami Marlins, Florida Marlins history. He pitched for the majors, the team in the majors for six years, 2011 to 2016. After that, he went to the Rockies, and the Rockies gave him a three-year guaranteed deal for fairly big money, and they got burned by it. Almost from the beginning, that deal was a disaster for the Rockies, and it finished off on a very low note with him putting up a 9.0 ERA in 2018 and then a 7.13 ERA in 2019, even if you make the adjustment for the high altitude of Coors Fields. That is just unimaginably awful. Overall, he missed a lot of time with injuries in each of the last two years. He is 34 years old, turning 35 in May and coming off those bad years. So more so than even Phelps, he's a clear minor league deal candidate and nothing more than that. You just take a flyer on him and see what happens. Uh, With the Marlins, I think um, in hindsight, you can appreciate him a little bit more. When you pitch so many relief appearances in close games, you're uh, obviously going to blow some of those situations and be remembered more so for your failures than for your successes. On balance, he was he was fine. He was fine in the Marlins bullpen. He pitched against both righties and against lefties and issued too many walks. That got very frustrating, pitching a lot of deep counts and getting into trouble. But he kept the ball in the ballpark, and really the only exceptions to that in his career were that last season with the Marlins a little bit, and uh, at times with the Rockies. Although, as mentioned, the Rockies had some; there were some physical issues contributing to his struggles. We believe as well. Um, super low priority for Dunn, but as I said, the bullpen is there's still some question marks about this bullpen, and it wouldn't hurt to have some veterans waiting in the wings at AAA Wichita, and Dunn could be one of those. Uh, A couple more, Derek Dietrich, who has been spending a lot of time in Miami this offseason. He had such a bizarre year with the Reds in 2019, where it got off to an excellent start after not even getting a guaranteed year coming into the season. He had to earn a spot on the roster, hit for terrific power the first few months, and then cratered afterwards. There there was a minor injury that was affecting him, and there was some bad luck as well. He had one of the lowest batting averages on balls in play in recent baseball history. Um, Still finished with very impressive isolated power as an overall player, uh, comfortably above league average as an overall player. Still showed the willingness to go to multiple positions, although based on what we saw with him in the Marlins in 2018, you really want to keep him in the infield if at all possible he's going to be giving up too many runs if you try to have him cover space in the outfield so there are some limitations there and he had some uh off-color comments about the Marlins a year ago when things were going really well for him and uh, reporters approached him about how the old core that the Marlins had was um, slowly disintegrating He mentions how he was really satisfied to be with a new team that played in a stadium that the fans actually showed up and how much he appreciated the atmosphere with the Cincinnati Reds that wasn't the same that he was used to with the Marlins. And he felt more appreciated 
even as he struggled later in the year. I mean, I guess he wasn't getting as many media requests in the second half of the year when he could barely get off the bench, but I digress. Because of those comments where he came off sounding bitter about the divorce from the fish, you can say this is a pretty far long shot that he returns to the team despite the six years of history that they have between each other the Marlins would likely be asking anybody at this stage of the offseason to report to AAA. And with Dietrich, um, that's something that he hasn't had to do. Even um, that was a possibility for him last year with the Reds, but ultimately when he was healthy, he spent all his time in the major leagues. So I don't think he would humble himself to come back to the team that uh, didn't want him in the first place. And finally, the most polarizing of all these players, Hanley Ramirez, a Marlin from 2006 through the middle of 2012, one of the best players in franchise history. Um, at this stage of his career, 36 years old and still going. He hasn't played in the majors since very early in the 2019 season with the Indians. Got released, didn't get picked up. Overall, over the past two years, only about 250 plate appearances in the majors where he was a below-average hitter, uh, a liability defensively, so you're not expecting much. But Hanram has still been staying loose in his native DR during the regular season in the Dominican Winter League with Tigres del Lice. He played 13 games, 273 batting average, 716 OPS. That's in a very pitcher-friendly league, so he was comfortably better than a league average during their regular season. Uh, I don't have his off his uh, postseason stats at the moment. His team is making a deep run into the playoffs, trying to get to the Caribbean series, and I know he's been prominently involved in that. Uh, not not superstar production by any means, even adjusting for that league. But with MLB active rosters expanding for 2020 from 25 men to 26, you have room for this kind of designated pinch hitter on your roster. As things currently stand with the Marlins, you got Harold Ramirez, who is more likely going to serve in that kind of role. A lot of pitch hitting opportunities, some occasional starts against left-handers. And uh, I don't think at this stage of his career you can make the case that Hanley is a better overall player than Harold is. And, and Harold is already pretty popular on the team. But you have guys like Harold, uh, other position players in the mix for roster spots, like John Birdie, who has leaving um, Lewis Brinson, all these guys with limited major league track records. They bring interesting skill sets to the table in this kind of year where the Marlins have still long-term priorities. They want to give these players um, consistent reps at the major league level, but there does come a point where you have to focus on winning games, where you favor guys that may have more of a track record. Uh, my best guess is that Hanley doesn't play another game in the major leagues ever again just because of the way that his overall game has deteriorated because of age and through the years he's had plenty of injuries pile up but i'm not gonna lie he's just someone that will always have a special place in my heart i'm sure many marlins fans would agree with that so if he does show interest in playing affiliated ball this coming season i think the marlins may want to at least do their due diligence on what type of player he is and how he could possibly fit on the roster in a scenario where they have opportunities available. 
Here on the Fist Stripes podcast, we do have a show that is dedicated specifically to cover Marlins minor leaguers earning their stripes. As we move into this new regular season, that show is going to be picking up in frequency again with exclusive interviews and with plenty of banter about how prospects are progressing within the farm system. I don't want to step on their toes at all by uh, leaning too much into the minor league stuff on this main Fish Bites show, but there is some news from this past week on the prospect side with Baseball America and MLB Pipeline, two of the more reputable talent evaluating outlets that we have on a national level, uh, updating their top 100 MLB prospects list for the new season, both of them listing five Marlins within their top 100, putting the Marlins as uh, one of the few teams in the whole league that have that much representation at the very top of the scale. With Baseball America, they ranked Sixto Sanchez, number 16 overall, J.J. Blade at 46, Jesus Sanchez at 58, Edward Cabrera at 68, and Jazz Chisholm at 88. With Pipeline, same five players, slightly different order. Sixto was number 22, Blade was number 28 overall, Jesus Sanchez, number 80 overall, Edward Cabrera, 85, Jazz Chisholm, 66 and fans love this stuff (laughs) that's that's why uh we cover it because the fans love when you rank players and uh marlins fans during this rebuild when you're coming off a couple miserable years at the major league level the silver lining of that is that the team has been acquiring all these interesting young controllable players through a variety of means uh most obviously through trades trading away some of their most decorated um position players that were part of the old core. Hey, uh, Sixto Sanchez was the centerpiece in the Real Muto trade, and now two years running, he has been their top prospect in the entire organization and one of the best right-handed pitching prospects in all of baseball. He, he's more or less exactly where he was ranked at this time a year ago, coming off a very good season at AA Jacksonville. And fans love this seeing that these players are being recognized for their talent, that evaluators believe in their potential. I just want to provide some proper context to it because top 100 is a very arbitrary cutoff. I don't think people note that. They make a big fuss about the fact that certain players are on the list, certain ones miss, why players are ranked ahead of one another. To put it all in perspective, we've got 30 major league teams Uh, some of them with as many as seven or eight separate affiliate rosters. The Marlins have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven affiliate rosters, including four in full season ball, then uh, including the Dominican Summer League as well. 30 teams, 6,000 to 7,000 affiliated players at any one time between all those 30 organizations. And out of those six or 7,000, Uh, realistically, the vast majority of them will never make it to the major leagues, less than a thousand of those at any given time. And only a small percentage of that will even have what I would consider steady major league roles over the course of multiple seasons. Then it's just a tiny fraction of that number that would have above average careers at the major league level, being players of significance that can flirt with all-star selections that have a sustained run with an organization 
that make it through their controllable years without being released or designated for assignment or discarded in one way or another. At any one time in all of minor league baseball, there's a hundred, maybe 150 affiliated players who are going to be above average major leaguers. That's kind of the point of this exercise and why the cutoff is where it is, where Baseball America and MLB Pipeline and Fan Graphs, Prospects Live, uh, Baseball Prospectus, they take their best chance at uh, naming all the players in minor league baseball that they believe are going to become above average um, recognizable major league players. There's not that many in the in all of affiliated baseball. And naturally, these lists are going to miss some. There's some that just uh, defy the odds. Uh, the most famous example probably being Jose Altuve, being so undersized, being signed for peanuts out of Venezuela, and just turning himself into an exceptional all-around player, uh, the cheating situation notwithstanding. And and there are plenty of examples. Probably Brian Anderson has reached a point where I think he's in that threshold where he's clearly an above average major league player. He's one of the top 125, 150 players in all of major league baseball right now. And um, I don't think there was any point where he was being regarded as a top 100 overall prospect in the game. If so, just very briefly, and it certainly wasn't a consensus among all the talent evaluators, but it happens. Uh, Pablo Lopez is someone that I believe very firmly is going to be in the same situation. He was never a top 100 prospect guy. As soon as he was traded to the Marlins, though, he made some very important strides in his game. And if he's healthy this year, um, I could see him being someone that establishes himself as a very exciting mid-rotation starter that you just can't find all that. Those don't grow on trees across all of baseball. The Marlins... Um, barely had anybody fitting that description the past few years in their rotation. It's a very inexact science because these rankings take a lot into consideration. They obviously, perhaps more so than anything else, they look at the upside of the player, their ceiling, the best, the realistic best case scenario for that player. Uh, Wander Franco is the number one prospect in most people's views at this time because they believe he is one of the most gifted hitters in all the professional ranks that you could stick him in the majors right now and he could be a league average hitter and that eventually he could be one of the best all-around hitters in the league and do it while playing a premium up the middle position as a shortstop be more than serviceable at shortstop and if not move down the defensive spectrum um, and be even better at third base or second base etc Sixto Sanchez both before and after the trade has been that consensus awesome pitching prospect because of the velocity he has, but also the swing and miss that he can create with his secondary pitches, how efficient he is on the mound, and his age, being just 21 years old and already on the verge of moving into AAA and just a matter of months away, potentially, from debuting in the majors. His peak is still far in the distance, so if he's being this successful at this young age, imagine what he's capable of getting a little bit stronger and more durable and further honing the sequencing of his pitches, he can be exceptional, a true ace type of player if he stays healthy. But because of his significant injuries in the past, that has to downgrade him. 
and fairly or not, he is built differently than your conventional starting pitcher, uh, being shorter, but also being thicker. And how how will those factors affect his durability and the way that hitters pick up on the ball coming out of his hands? Yet to be determined. J.J. Bleday was a college player at this time a year ago, and he wasn't even like a top-of-the-list college prospect at this time. He had to really break out in the power department while the Vanderbilt to go along with a lot of the other strong fundamentals in his game, uh, his, his discipline at the plate, his defense, his overall athleticism and instincts. And so there are some differing opinions on Blade because he has such a short track record in professional baseball. And uh, the results, frankly, haven't been all that overwhelming since he turned pro. But all the tangibles that you're looking for in a player, he has them and he can have a very quick accelerated track throughout the minor leagues even has a long shot opportunity of breaking through to the majors by the end of this year, despite just being drafted in June of 2019. Jesus Sanchez has some excellent offensive abilities, and he hasn't really put them together fully at the high levels of the minor leagues. He's not pulling the ball as much as you would expect, and uh, he's not hitting it in the air as frequently as you want. Therefore, it hasn't translated into the kind of results that he had um, when he was with the Rays organization. He is someone that fell considerably on most of these top prospect lists, more so with Pipeline than with Baseball America. And there's a justifiable reason to that because you have to trust him to make those adjustments as he moves into even tougher competition in the majors, or or maybe you don't. Maybe you think that uh, he doesn't fully put it all together despite having the ability to do so. Just 22 years old, that's another factor working in his advantage, where just physically and uh, in terms of experience playing this game, there's still a lot ahead of him in order for him to figure it out. Edward Cabrera coming off a great statistical year in Jupiter and Jacksonville, um, built like a more conventional starting pitching prospect, unlike Sixto Sanchez, but doesn't quite have the same track record and um, doesn't have the single season workload yet of what you would want from a potential starting pitcher. Even last year, he had a a somewhat fluky infection that kept him out for close to a month late in the season. Jazz Chisholm might be as divisive as uh, any of these guys, where Chisholm got off to a slow start last year at AA level in the Diamondbacks organization, really picked it up after the trade. Just exceptional um, athleticism for a guy. Still uh, slightly built for a player, a lot of good weight that he could add on through the right training, Uh, about to turn 22 years old. And the quality of the contact that he makes is um, unlike just about anything else that you'll see from a shortstop in minor league baseball. It's like him and Wander Franco are almost in the same level in that one aspect in terms of the quality of the contact that they make. The question with Chisholm is how much contact will he make? He really lowered that strikeout rate after the trade, but still an issue relative to the typical uh, wannabe major league player. He can stick at shortstop defensively. He can create a lot of chaos on the bases. When he's right, he impacts the game in every single way you want. And you just love the confidence that he shows in himself on the field 
and off the field when speaking publicly. There's just that question as to what to expect from his bat-to-ball skills and if he can do enough damage um, when he picks his spots to make up for the fact that he may be making a a lot of outs by swinging and missing. Some of the other Marlins that missed the top 100, Monte Harrison, at this point, I think his window is closed as a top 100 guy just because of his age. 24 years old, now 24 and a half entering this new year. Um, who's had a variety of injuries that have kept him off the field. He's going to have to just prove it in the majors. Briefly considered a top 100 guy by some of these outlets. But at, at, at this point, um, it's all about him taking the next step. You just put this stuff in the rearview mirror and you focus on making the major league roster. He's going to have a chance to do that this spring. A fast riser last year, both before and after he was traded to the Marlins, was first baseman Lewin Diaz, someone that I'm very high on. Baseball America uh, lists him as a player that they expect to be a top 100 guy a year from now, assuming that he still has prospect eligibility. Didn't quite make the cut this time, considering where he is on the defensive spectrum. He has to make it as a first baseman, or otherwise he won't fit uh that doesn't have a defensive home at all aside from that, but he does show a lot of the skills that you want from a first baseman defensively, great quality of contact, and he's put in the work in the gym to get the most out of his body. We have an article about that in our Marlins season preview on fishstripes.com. Be sure to check that out. Another one to keep an eye on is Braxton Garrett this coming year, who we interviewed recently on Earning Their Stripes. Garrett just came back from Tommy John surgery in 2019, most viable player for the high A Jupiter Hammerheads. So he'll be at double A for what we expect to be most of this coming season. And a lot of that is going to come down to his changeup. The changeup is the big work in progress for him. He's got good fastball velo and command for a left-hander, a nasty curveball that he's been throwing uh, ever since he started pitching. And we had a good story about that from him on the podcast if he stays healthy during this upcoming year, he's probably going to crack the top 100 as well. I just caution everybody not to get too obsessed about those rankings. It's an arbitrary cutoff at the 100 mark, and players at the top of that list are weighted more heavily than the ones that just sneak on at the bottom. So the Marlins have five guys that are all comfortably within the top 100, according to a couple major outlets with the baseball prospectus top 101, they, they rank an extra player for whatever reason. That list is dropping in a number of hours, and we'll have that covered on Fish Stripes as well. Uh, the one very real concern is that the Marlins don't have a, a bona fide star at the top of that list. They don't have a, a Wander Franco or, in recent years, a Carlos Correa, a Mike Trout, a Manny Machado. They don't have that player right now in their system that um, has everything that you can trust from a minor league player. All these guys have the ceiling of being perennial all-stars. All those guys, even some of the ones that just missed the top 100, they could be all-stars. And if the Marlins hit on most of those players, then this is going to be a playoff contender on a consistent basis. Realistically, the majority of these players do not hit their ceiling, whether it's injury-related, if it's something within their control, if it just happens to be their fit with, among other players in the organization. It, this is a tricky business, and that's why even these best evaluators, they get a lot of them wrong. 
There are a lot of these players that simply do not progress the way you want. The last time the Marlins organization was in this situation, entering the 2013 season, uh, Christian Yelich was number 17 on the MLB list. Jose Fernandez, number 22. Jake Marisnik, number 35. So you have three guys in the same area, uh, two that went on to be the most dynamic players at their respective positions, and then you have Marisnik as a fourth outfielder. So there's a lot of variance. Other players that were ranked in the same area as Yelich and Fernandez and Marisnik on that list, you have uh, Archie Bradley, who was turned into a reliever. You have Shelby Miller, who had a couple good years as a starter and then cratered in his mid to late 20s. Uh, Javier Baez, who has gone on to be a great star, and Nolan Arenado was right there in the mix. But so has uh, Jonathan Singleton, who's now out of baseball entirely after getting a big guaranteed contract before he even made his debut. There's Anthony Rendon, who's highly ranked on that list, Xander Bogarts, and also Bubba Starling, who is a Kansas City Royals bust, and Hak Ju Lee, who was one of the top Rays prospects that year and never even made it to the big leagues. He's now, I just had to look this up, he just returned to his native South Korea to play professionally over there after never breaking through. There's so much volatility with players on these lists. The best thing you could hope for is having strong representation that the Marlins have, but also representation at the very top end of the list. And that's what uh, the Marlins are still uh, lacking. It will take some more progress from Sixto, really proving himself at AAA, uh, JJ Bleday putting up strong results at AA, depending on how this team does in the international free agent period, how they do in the MLB draft. They're going to have a top three overall pick this coming year. There's still a lot of talent acquisition opportunities for the Marlins to have, and you got to keep taking advantage of it until you have more of these players break through to the majors and establish themselves over there. You just stock up as many viable, exciting prospects as you can. So far, so good. Still a long way to go in order to secure this team's future and put them in a situation to be great for a long time. Thanks for listening. I'm Eli Sussman. Rate and review on Apple Podcasts, please. Uh, check out the rest of our coverage on fishstripes.com. Less than two weeks away from FanFest. Uh, only about a month away from a special meetup that we are planning at Roger Dean Chevrolet Stadium. More details about to come on that on social media and on the website. Hoping to see you guys around and having conversations about the Marlins, both online and in person. Go fish.